Welcome to Two Girls in a Grape, where we attempt to learn about wine one bottle at a time. I'm Drea, and it may be a new year, but I am the same old wino. And I'm Anne, and I gotta say, I am less and less inspired by each new year as it comes. So, uh, 2022, you have some living up to do. Wow, that got grim fast. Like, usually we save that part for when we start drinking, but okay, I see what the vibe is. I see what the vibe is. Um, I mean, I did already use uh, Taylor Swift's iconic line, I'm feeling 22, in our previous episode, so uh, the only choice was darkness. Wow, okay. Well, she's not... Also my motto for the year. Yeah, um... Anyway. I feel like you got some stuff you gotta work through. All right, so, uh... Since th- apparently we got some vibes we're working through, and uh, why don't you kick us off with our reoccurring segment, Cheers and Jeers? I will be happy to. So cheers. I have two cheers this time. Um, first, cheers to my lovely mom. Um, happy birthday to her. So by the time this comes out, her birthday will have already passed. Um But it will only just have passed, and so I wanted to wish her a very happy birthday, and I hope that this year is better than every year that has ever happened before this. Um, So cheers to my mom. And I also wanted to cheers the author Nina LaCour. Um, She writes some great books, and she teaches some great classes on writing. Um, So she's written a number of young adult novels, um, most recently Watch Over Me, and she has a book coming out later this year called Yerba Buena, uh, and also expected to be really good. So I just wanted to cheers her. I've worked with her on a few different things, and I think she's great. So cheers to my mom and to Nina. I don't know how mom's going to feel about sharing her birthday cheers, but go go on. <laughs> she'll be fine. Um, honestly, I'm not even sure if she'll listen to this episode unless I send it directly to her. So I mean, if you tell her you cheers her, she will listen to it. Well, she'll have to find it first. So and that's kind of related to my jeers finding it. So jeers to social media for eating all of my free time. Um, I feel like I wake up and like look at my phone and before I go to bed I look at my phone and um, Andrea knows that I've done this before but I'm feeling like a like a cleanse or a vacation from social media coming up soon of like just turning it off and uh, stepping away for a minute so cheers to that and maybe cheers to me if I do that we'll see we'll see if it happens it hasn't yet what about you Drea? Uh, let's see. So, uh, cheers to me for deciding to take my PTO after the holidays, uh, and enjoying a little post-holiday season R&R, uh, out in wine country. So that was very well planned past 2021. Andrea, congratulations. You're winning this year already. Um, I just, you know, every year I feel like the holidays are more and more stressful, not because I make them stressful, but because humans are literally awful. And so I spend a lot of time during the Christmas season working (laughs) and staying inside uh, because I don't want to, like, deal with the crazy. So it's really nice to get away during a time where... 
no one, no one else is really out. Everyone's back at work and back at school, and it is probably the best choice they could have made. So here we are. Uh, but cheers to fucking COVID. Like still, like still, like today, like now, like ah. <sighs> I saw this meme the other day that was like, didn't know that twenty twenty was going to be a trilogy and I'm starting to feel a little bit like we're all stuck in the matrix, the COVID matrix. So, uh, cheers to you, COVID and, um, Omicron, which I call Optimus Prime and whatever other like horrid variant comes for us next. So, um, we're all just trying to survive, but seriously, like everyone I know has COVID at this point. Ooh, well, fingers crossed that, uh, we stay healthy. Um, and I can't wait for the remake, I guess. The re- the remake? You know, like, there's oh. the trilogy, and then, like, there's the remake. Oh, God. We're gonna no! have a remake. No, we don't want a remake. We just wanted to go quiet. It's like The Godfather, when there never should have been a third movie made. Like, it never should have been a trilogy. I don't want a trilogy. I don't want a remake. <laughs> Uh, so before we dive into this bottle and really get into our Grenache goals episode for this January season, I thought it would be fun for our shenanigans to have a little New Year's goals check in. So for our listeners, Anne and I don't really do resolutions. Um, we do goals, which I feel like is much more intention forward. Um, and I think in the time that we've been doing this together and, and talking about our goals, it's been interesting to see how they've evolved from kind of whims of fan- fancy to, you know what, I don't know if there's going to be a plague or a typhoon or a dinosaur insurgents outside. So um, I'm going to focus on some cool things that I can control. Uh, so I, we talked about goals recently uh, during the holidays, and I know Anne works begins working on her goals like in October, right around our birthdays. I am not that ambitious or smart, but uh, I do like to take some time in December and really think about, you know, the year that's just passed and what are some of the things I want to be extra mindful of during the year coming up. So I thought we could do a little check-in and see how that first month is going. And just to be clear, neither of us is doing a dry January. Um, neither of us is I mean I think we're really focused on being better to ourselves to be quite honest so what are some of the some of your goals for the year Anne and and how are they going so far how's January treating you in 2022 the first goal that I set this year the first one that I want to talk about kind of broadly I set a a lot of kind of writing projects goals so I have two novels that I'm currently working on and then I have an essay and a poem that I finished this last year that are ready for sort of submission and um and publication so I think they're ready for publication we'll see whether or not actual publications and editors agree with me we'll find out um so my goal is to make kind of progress on both of the the novels that I have in progress and then to find um journals or publications where I can submit these this poem and this essay um and so far this month it's been going pretty well um I've made some decent headway in 
the two kind of longer pieces of work that I'm doing. And then the approach that I'm trying to take with submissions is really to kind of like batch it or to think about it like kind of one weekend a month or something so that I'm not sort of constantly like focused on that part of the process instead. Um, So I just kind of got through my first round of submitting places, but my goal is to submit to um, two or three publications a month until I find someone who wants them. So that's goal one. It's going pretty well. Um, Goal two is semi-related. So I started this actually before the new year, but um, Gretchen Rubin, who some of you may have heard of, she does a lot with um, happiness and some productivity, um, and she has a podcast called Happier. I think her podcast is called Happier. Um, Is she the one who did the happiness project? That's the book. That's the book is the happiness project, or that's the one that she like got famous for and now she has a podcast called happier and she's written several other books um they're all fairly good i think or like if you like that kind of thing i i do um but she will do something where she'll have sort of a theme in her reading life um so she's done like the summer of proust or the summer of virginia wolf um and i always really liked that idea i thought it was fairly clever and a good way to maybe kind of explore writers that are kind of considered classics in some way. So I decided, not a summer, but I decided I would have a winter of Russian literature. Um, I really like Russian literature. I like a lot of Russian authors. Um, And it's something that like when I was younger, I'd explored, but didn't sort of like follow through with. So I just wanted to do kind of a winter of Russian literature. Um, So at this point, I am at least into my third sort of Russian uh, book um, and am enjoying it so far. I think it's funny. I think that's one of the reasons that I like it. Like there's sort of this like dark humor to it. Um, And then I've also done some history reading. So I've been reading up on the Tsars and kind of the shenanigans that they got up to. And it's been, it's been pretty enjoyable. Um, So I'll do this, like this goal will kind of take me from, I'm doing it for like winter as a season. So I started it on December 21st and I'll wrap it up on March 20th because that is the spring equinox. Um, So I'll switch into some other reading at that point. But between now and then, I'm going to stay focused on on those cold, cold Russians. Just all Russia all the time, huh? I mean, not all Russia all the time, but like mostly Russia, like at least for the fiction that I'm reading, it's Russian. And then my third goal that I'll kind of talk about here is I want to focus on pleasure this year and on things that I enjoy. Um, And people have been recommending the TV show Ted Lasso to me for, God, at least the last year. And I haven't watched it or I haven't tried to watch it. And so I started it um, this month and I was missing out, highly recommend, really enjoy. It's definitely in that like Parks and Rec, um, vein, Parks and Rec, The Good Place. It's, it's similar to, I'd say both of those shows and, um, it's really heartwarming and I'm really enjoying it. So definitely getting my pleasure fix from watching a weird TV show about, uh, British football, but not really about British football. So 
So those are my three. Um, By the time this episode airs, it will be the end of January, and most folks uh, struggle to keep their goals going before after after sort of the first couple weeks of January. So I hope this inspires you to, um, you know, pick up your resolutions or pick up your goals again. Drea, how have you been doing? Inspires you to, you know, watch more TV and read grim, <laughs> grim uh, Russian stuff. Yeah, if that if that makes you happy the way that it makes me happy, absolutely. Cool, 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 cool. Uh, let's see. So, you know, on this early check-in, I think I think I'm doing all right. So, one of my goals was to drink more water i know this sounds benign but yeah i know um but when i am in the thick of working it's oftentimes i'm sitting at my desk for hours and hours or i'm on the go and it guess what it's been like four hours since i've had something to drink and i'm really really crabby and it's probably not like good for me either so um yeah, that has that is a goal that I am tracking uh, to up my hydration, and I mean I'm drinking more water than wine right now, so I'm gonna say that's a win. Like that's positive. That's a win. I mean, uh, and that's also saying something. Yeah, exactly. We all know I, I she love her vino, so um, yeah, it's good. It's good. Uh, my second goal was to move more. Um, I think during the, you know, it's been an interesting couple of years. I feel like in reflecting on my goals from 2021, I was telling Anne this, I feel like I fucking was crushing it until like middle of April, re until I had my second vaccination shot. So in those beautiful, blissful days between April and the onset of Omicron, I was have just been living it up. Dinner's out? Yes. Celebrate being alive? Absolutely. You want dessert? Let's do this. Uh, spending money like El Chapo. I mean, there's, there were just literally no rules. And it's like, all right, bitch, there are actually some rules and you probably need to like get your life together. So part of that is definitely, um, you know, being less slothful about everything and kind of getting back into my normal routine that has gone by the wayside because I've been so focused on you know, just being happy to be out and about. Uh, so one of the things I have done is I have signed up for a virtual Camino de Santiago challenge. Uh, I really want to do the Camino de Santiago, and I was hoping to do it this year as part of a big birthday celebration. But with kind of the way things are and unknown with COVID and also um, my dog is getting up there in age and I got to make sure everything is okay with him. Can't exactly take off for six weeks if he's not um, in a good space. You know, I don't know if that's going to happen this year. So instead of, you know, just kind of putting that goal off, I was like, or I could find another way to do this that also is part of the training process. So I'm really excited to be doing that. Um, 
and kind of working through my own process. Um, there's an app called The Good Camino, and that's what I'm using. And it's really cool because you can track your mileage. And every time you hit a point on the Camino, you get like a little, you unlock like your passport to this particular little town. And so you get all these notes about the history of the town and what it's known for and its significance on the Camino. And there's pictures and there's narrated videos from pilgrims who have walked it. Um, and there is a fee for the app. So if you want the full uh, St. James Way Camino, it's $60. It's a one-time purchase, but um, they donate a certain amount of the proceeds to the various organizations that house and feed pilgrims on the pathway. So it's a really cool organization. It's a rad app. Um, and I'm excited about it. So yeah, there's that's goal two. Um, before you move on to goal three, can you just tell our listeners what the Camino de Santiago is? Um, and maybe tell us a little bit more about kind of like what it's like to do one of the walks on the app, like kind of how, how are you using the app or like, what's the interface? Like, I'm just curious. So the Camino de Santiago is a traditional religious pilgrimage that the, takes you from the south of France, just above the Pyrenees, all the way through northern Spain, and you end in Santiago. And um, it's called the Way of St. James. And so it was a pilgrimage um, thought to be done by St. James. And it's been a very, very popular pilgrimage amongst, not just amongst Catholics, but amongst you know, people who are looking for kind of a spiritual experience and now more than ever, I think kind of a, a physical experience and um, kind of a physical triumph, so to speak. So uh, it's, it's very, very popular these days. Um, and it's not for the faint of heart. So you walk, it takes, I think it's like 400 and 80 some miles um and if you you do it on the ground it's supposed to take between five and six weeks and you know you stay at various places on the routes including some like monasteries and hostels and things like that because you're you go into some pretty rural communities um but it's something that I have really always wanted to do and like I said I wanted to do it as part of my birthday celebration this year but who who knows what the world's going to be like. Um, and I'll still do it at some point, but I wanted to be able to participate in some way. The interface on the app is, is pretty cool. It's really easy to use. You do have to put in your, you can put in your um, mileage manually, or if you have uh, Apple Fitness or an Apple Watch, you can have it like translate over from those apps and I have both of those things so it makes it really really easy and you just it kind of just keeps tally of where you go and like I said as you pass different um, towns and landmarks you sort of unlock narratives about each one of these places and their significance on the Camino. And if you there's a lot of great books um, about the Camino, one of my favorites is was written by Shirley MacLaine, and it's called El Camino, and Shirley's great. Uh, so if you're interested, I highly recommend checking that piece out. Awesome. 
Yeah, so that's goal two. Uh, and goal three is kind of an interesting one for me. And it has been... <laughs> It is to be less accommodating. Um, I am generally pretty chill for the most part. And I feel like it's taken me a long time in my life to like get to that point of giving way fewer fucks than I used to. And I think I've gone a little overboard with now. Um, people think I give so few fucks that it, it tends to be... I tend to be at the the back end of some stuff that I don't want to be um, because I want to accommodate everybody and I don't like conflict. So I've decided not that, you know, I'm going to like fight with everyone, but I need to be a little bit better to myself and say no when I want to and, you know, kind of carve out time to do things that are important to me and not just agree to stuff to do stuff that's important to everybody else. So, yeah, that's, you know, we'll see how, how good I am at being ballsy for all the shit that I talk as we move into 2021 more and more. 2022, oh my God, it's already bad. It's already happening. All right, well, I mean, it might help you to be less accommodating. I'm, I'm trying to make, like, a wine and accommodation joke. Like, can my stomach accommodate this wine some room for this wine can my mouth accommodate this wine yeah are we ready for our mouths to accommodate this wine we are ready for our mouths to accommodate this wine okay i'm not sure if that worked we'll see it, it did it did not at all but you know what i'm like we're committed now i'm going for it keeping it yeah there's no there's no turning back so drea what is the wine that we're drinking today and uh what's what's the story of this bottle so today we are starting the year off right with one of our favorite varietals, a Grenache from Sans Liege in Paso Robles, and in particular um, from their Tin City location. So we'll talk a little bit about that later, but um, this is a great value bottle for what it is. I think uh, it ranges around the $24, $25 mark. It's small production. Um, it's a really nice, sophisticated Grenache, and it has an ABV of 14%, which is a little bit higher than where we normally kind of uh, dwell on this podcast, but it's it's a very smooth um, bottle still, I think. And I know how much you were into names, and so... Uh, I wanted to share a little bit about the name of this particular uh, winery. And so San Liege means without allegiance. And the reason um, the winemaker, uh, Kurt Schalischen, named it San Liege was because he really wanted to pursue winemaking um, in that Central Coast region of California that was unhindered by a particular style. And so California wines in, in particular, I think, are very committed to certain styles. So like, for example, if you are trying wines from Napa, they're very easily identifiable. Um, the Central Coast is becoming that way as well. And Grenache um, is part of the story of the Central Coast. It's one of the big um, varietals that's grown there. And so for 
um, the winemaker, it's really about departing from some of these traditions and creating new ones. And as we talk about this bottle, I think you'll see why that is. But um, San Lige in general really focuses on Rhone varietals, and Grenache is a signature both in the Rhone and, of course, in the Central Coast. So anywhere from Paso Robles to Santa Barbara County, you see a lot of Grenache. Um, both single varietal wines and blends. And um, the reason we selected this bottle is because guess what I did the first week of January? Guess what I did with that PTO I took? And we both had this bottle. So it made it a little easier on us as we are all recovering from the holidays. But uh, I think you'll like this one. It was one of those, what does Anne have under the couch questions? Oh, has, has the box moved to under the couch instead of front, under the bed? Yeah, it did. Wow. You know, as much as it pains me to say this, I feel like this is progress. Like, at least we're into a room where it makes fucking sense to have the wine. I mean, says the woman who has never drunk a bottle of wine in bed. I definitely have. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, I also suggested to my husband recently, we saw, um, there's a series of old films from the 40s called The Thin Man that are based on Dashiell Hammett books. And uh, in the first one, The Thin Man, this detective and his wife, it, you get a glimpse into their bedroom because they get a call in the middle of the night about a crime. And of course, they have the two double beds but between their beds is not a nightstand, but a bar cart. And I looked at my husband and I was like, I really feel like we've missed an opportunity here to live our best lives. <laughs> so. I mean, I think best lives for you and John would be a bar cart on either side of the bed and still yeah. sharing the same bed. But I mean, I'll just modern I improvements. I'll take what I can get. And then, I mean, the question was, well, who gets evening custody of the dog? It's me, obviously. I do. I get evening custody of the dog. So with the cold January weather here in New York, um, I am desperately missing that Central California sun. Um, so can you tell me a little bit more about, about the region and about kind of where this uh, where this comes from in particular. I know you mentioned that this winery is based in Tin City. Yeah. So um, first of all, Grenache, like we said, like I said earlier, is a really signature varietal for this region. Um, the heart of Paso Robles is the GSM, uh, which is a signature blend that you see a, a lot of up there. And it's Grenache, Syrah, Movedra. Almost every major producer there does a GSM. They're all slightly different in terms of, you know, the percentages of each one of the grapes that will radically change the way that that wine hits. Um, but in addition to their blend, San Lige also does a lot of single varietals. So they have a Mavedra um, that they do that's delicious. They, I think they have, yeah, they have a couple different Syrahs from different um vineyards in the region, uh, both coastal and then a little bit further inland on the central coast. And then, of course, this beautiful Grenache. And um, this winery in particular is really interesting because they're based in an area of Paso Robles known as Tin City. 
And so Tin City's crazy. Like, it is a bougie wine lover's paradise. Um, it is essentially an industrial park that is nestled along this historic uh, national trail, the San or the Juan Bautista de Anza Trail, and it is a pretty new, like, relatively new area with, that has sprung up in Paso that has over 20, I think there's over 20 wineries, there's restaurants, um, there's some shopping. It's a really cool, there's a couple of breweries. It's a really, really cool little area. And the idea is, is it's kind of like a one-stop shop, right? So you can go and spend the day there, do some wine tasting, have lunch, have dinner, grab ice cream, get some groceries at the Italian market on your way out. Um, I really love this spot in Paso, and they are producing some amazing wines in this area. Uh, and they, what I love about it is they're all super cool and chill. There's absolutely no pretension there. Um, it's very much a community feel, feel, which is really, really nice. So what you have here are like, they're just these, there were just these big warehouses um, that were out there. And it was really in 2011 uh, when a man named Andrew Jones saw one of these empty tin garage-like buildings or warehouses as the perfect place to launch his winery, Field Recordings. So Field Recordings was the first winery um, to really set up shop there in Tin City. And it just seemed like prime real estate for production because you had these big open areas. It was cheap, um, which made it appealing for up and coming winemakers because there's really there was really at the time nothing around there. Um, and then as once um, Jones got established and set up field recordings, you had a couple other winemakers say, oh, this is actually pretty good. And then Barrel House Brewing Co. opened there as well. Um, and the whole area really started to take off. Uh, so locals actually christened it the area Tin City because it was just sort of these tin warehouses everywhere before all these winemakers went into that area. And so today, excuse me, I spoke earlier, there are more than 30 businesses that are housed within this industrial park. About 25 of them are wineries. And what's super cool is all of the wineries have on-site production, which means while they're not growing the grapes there, um, they are producing the wines there. So that is where the magic is happening. And like when I visited San Lige, um, I actually, they were able to take me back into their production area to take a look around. And, you know, that's where the tanks and the barrels are happening and all the science of winemaking is going on behind the scenes. So if you were into not just wine, but how wine is produced and learning more about the production process and the business craft of the wine industry. Um, Tin City is absolutely a place that should be on your visiting list because it's a really great experience to learn about some of the most cutting edge um, techniques in the winemaking industry right now. And what's, like I said, what's really cool about it is even though it's grown 
so much in the last, you know, 10, 10 years or so, it has really retained um, a great energy. You know, growing up in California, living in San Diego, spending a lot of time in uh, the Napa Valley and California wine country, I feel like a place like this, it would be very, very easy for it to go super hipster overnight and just be an awful experience for people who actually really enjoy the art of wine and the narrative of wine. And it's not like that. Every experience I have had at different um, tasting rooms there has been fantastic. Everyone's super nice. Um, A lot of the winemakers are personal friends and know each other. It is very much a big community feel. Uh, This is a place where I highly recommend going without a full agenda. Take a look at their website, you know, think about if there's like one place you really want to go to, pick that one. So like the first time I went to Tin City, there was uh, a winery I wanted to go to called Desperada. It's an Italian-American female winemaker. I really wanted to to check it out. I had a great experience there. And, you know, I asked their tasting room manager, where do you like to go? And he sent me to a bunch of great places um, in Paso, including some other ones at Tin City. San Lige was a place I just happened to walk into because I pulled an Anne and I loved the artwork on their labels. Um a lot of their labels are inspired by uh, artwork and in particular Dante's Inferno. So it's super cool. But it just has such a great energy in this area. Um, and, you know, they've managed to keep things really affordable and really welcoming. So it's it's been a great experience every time I've been there. And they've got some heavy hitters in the area um, who are coming out of this. A lot of uh, lower intervention, natural winemakers, small production places that have really gotten quite a bit of notoriety in the wine world. So ONX is there, Levo is there. Uh, we talked about Desperada, Field Recordings, which really started the Tin City movement, uh, Brian Benson Cellars. So there's a lot of great wine being produced in this very small area. Um, and, you know, the other thing that's cool is because production is on site, oftentimes the winemakers are there. Like, you may be getting your tasting directly from the person who is responsible for what is in your glass. And I just think that that is such a important experience in in winemaking to know where that wine comes from and how it's crafted. Um, And it's one that we don't really get, especially in a lot of commercially produced um, wines. So if you can still find that, get after it. I know that um, that process of just asking around to say, you know, to the person who's pouring your wine, where do you go after work has been one of the um, ways that you've recommended several times on this podcast to like find new things. And I think it's a great piece of advice for any kind of traveling. You know, if you want to find somewhere new, somewhere different, somewhere exciting, you know, asking a person around you, where do you go? um, will take you somewhere you've never been before. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is like my go to methodology with with everything Um, from like, where are you drinking after work to 
where do you go for for breakfast? Like, that's how I find all the best places, you know. Locals who live in the area, like, they know. And a lot of them are very willing to share that knowledge with you. And, th and that pretty much goes, like, that's a global rule. Like, people want to talk about the places that they're from. They want to share the things that they enjoy with you if you're visiting. So, you know, um, ask. And intensity, it's it's literally impossible not to ask. And oftentimes they will volunteer information like, go check out this place. So what about Saint-Lige more particularly? Um, what did you kind of learn or like about them? I really like um, the winemaking philosophy. And, you know, Saint-Lige was established in 2006 and their first tasting room was actually in Pismo Beach and really focused more on Santa Barbara County um, sources of grapes for their wines. But one of the things that the winemaker Kurt has really preserved in his winemaking is to focus on the characteristics of grapes over their notoriety. So there are certain names of vineyards that come that will pop up on labels that have kind of instant recognition like Ballard Canyon right is one that's like ooh. and you know while those are excellent grapes and produce some wonderful wines um, I think he has done a really good job of not taking himself too seriously <laughs> and really looking for the properties of a grape that is going to make a great ball of wine. And um, Sunleage, and it's a bigger, bigger production, but it reminds me um, style-wise of my favorite urban winery in Berkeley, California, which is Lusu Cellars. And the winemaker there has a similar philosophy where it's like, what's looking good? Like, what's going to potentially turn into an amazing bottle of wine? Um, and really giving himself the freedom as a winemaker um, to be creative and to be selective for the right reasons. I think that that's really important um, and kind of speaks to some of the like the New Year's goals that you and I were talking about at the beginning of the episode, right? Like really allowing kind of those sensory um, perceptions and this idea of pleasure to sort of drive the a process. Um, and I think that that's important. So uh, Kurt of Sanlige works very selectively um, with growers to cultivate, you know, this really interesting balance, I think, between old world varietals and American flavors. And rather than treating quirks in a, in a grape or in a wine or eccentricities um, as flaws, I think he really celebrates them in his wines. And he's talked about seeing like diversity within winemaking as the promise of what he calls an uncommon opportunity. And I think that's such an interesting way to look at winemaking um, because, you know, there are those who will say winemaking is an exact science and, you know, should have consistency and this and that. And to a certain extent, yes, that is 100 percent true. But I also think that the reality of winemaking, especially in California, is that 
makers and growers are continually having to adapt to conditions that become more and more extreme every year. And we've absolutely talked about this on the show, whether it be, you know, extreme heat or drought or um, frost or uh, fires and smoke taint, right? Whatever the case may be, winemakers and grape growers are increasingly have to deal with how to create kind of more with frankly less, right? And what you do when you're sort of at this point in a climate uh, crisis where we can't deny that it's affecting the crops and it's affecting the final product. And guess what? That 2019 vintage is going to taste different from that 1999 vintage just because the the globe itself has changed during that time. And so I think um, Sun Liege and sort of other wineries in kind of this, this new coming of age process in the Central Coast are really leading the charge on how to deal with that and how to change the mindset over what, you know, a California wine looks like. And feels like. So I, I appreciate those efforts. Um, from on the website, uh, Kurt says, San Liege is my relentless search for independence, equally aligned with the freedoms of the New World and the heritage of the Rome Valley. I am careful not to hold too closely to either. Instead, I trust an institution of the microcosms of each vineyard site and vine to guide my work through each vintage, tending fruit in vineyards that have captured my heart from Paso Robles down to Solvang. These sites speak for me and I for them. The only partners now on this path I tread. And I think that's just such a great sentiment to really connect you know, again, what's in your glass to what's happening out in the vineyards. And there should always be, for me, that intimate connection. That's one of the most exciting things to me about wine. But for a lot of people, that's that's not the case. So to find a winemaker who really understands and appreciates and tries to cultivate that sentiment, I think is is really appealing to me as a wine drinker. Well, as you have said, before we get into our tasting discussion, um, everyone who listens knows that I love bottle artwork. And I do think you've already mentioned it, but the artwork on this bottle is just incredible. Um, it's a really beautiful, I would say really modern design. Um, so it's got the the name of the Grenache on there. It's groundwork. Um, and it's almost the the sort of front part of the artwork is almost like this rust colored um it's almost like an iron sculpture is what it reminds me of so there's the name of the wine there's the um tree growing out of the ground um all in this sort of very red rust um forward piece and then there is this really beautiful really complicated um blue black neon background. Um, so there is a lot happening on this label. You will not miss it if you see it in your local wine shop. Yeah, it's the artwork's really cool. Um, they take a lot of nods from the German expressionist movement. Um, 
really sort of wanting to capture a sense of honesty and as their website says raw darkness which you should be real into i think um and theme of the episode (laughs) theme of the episode maybe we should change the name of this episode to raw darkness and uh they are definitely inspired by dante's inferno and if you love the artwork they sell merch. And I'm not usually one for, like, cheesy, like, winery merch, but I did buy a t-shirt from them the last time I was up there because their artwork is that cool. So how cool is uh, is this wine, though? I I love a Grenache. As we all know, it is one of my favorite varietals. I just think they're easy. Even though it's a 14% ABV, um, after kind of the heaviness of the holidays, a Grenache seems lighter. It seems a little bit more fruit forward. It seems um, a bit of a of a cleaner mouthfeel than you know a really heavy red. So I I love I always love a Grenache. I think it's particularly appropriate for January. Are you getting any of those fruit forward um, flavors in the nose? Let's give it a whiff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I got cherry, raspberry, a little bit of blueberry, definitely um, maybe some black plum. I mean, there's some really nice fruit on the nose, I think. How about you? I am getting a little bit of pomegranate, which is quite delightful. Um, I don't know if this is quite right, but I sort of thought that underneath the pomegranate, there was maybe some apple, sort of some freshness to it as well. Um, I could also just be kind of mixing up the color in the glass as I am tending to do. Um, but it's this, at least at least where I am, and the sun has set here, so my light is a little limited. You know, it's this lovely dark red. To me, it's almost a cranberry, but... Um, what are you getting in your California light? You know, it's a deep, deep red. It's got definitely some blue undertones. Yeah. Bordering more on that that um, plum color. And then, you know, what's interesting to me, too, is I get a little bit of citrus, but it's more like grapefruit-ish. Mm. And the other thing with this one is, like some of your other um, varietals that are really popular in this region, so like Syrah, Zinfandel, you get some of those herbal and floral notes too that you see kind of across the board. So things like um, black peppercorns or black tea leaves, uh, eucalyptus, juniper, stuff like that. Um, Fig a little bit that you see typical of wines from this region. Um, I definitely get a little bit of that on the nose too here. All right. So are you ready to give it a I'm ready. swirl in your mouth? Here we go. <laughs> Do it. First impressions. I'm still getting I'm still getting a fair amount of fruit, I think. Mm-hmm. But there's something sort of mysterious underneath that fruit. I'm not I can't put my finger on it. Maybe it's some spices. Yeah, maybe a little bit of I think like I'm getting more of that pepper yeah maybe um like some of the more pungent baking spices like clove or nutmeg a little bit cinnamon was coming to mind i'm also getting more minerality than the nose lets on so like clay kind of gravel those backdrops and 
it's got really good acid too. So this is bordering on me medium to, you know, medium high acid, but it just, it lends a brightness to the fruit. You know, when you think about dark fruits, like plums and cherries and raspberries, uh, it's very easy for those to go a little bit more heavy and syrupy, but I think the nice acidity, acidity in this really kind of lends itself to brightening up the bottle quite a bit. It almost reminds me of, you know, the reason that you add a vinegar to, to a salad or a, a, a splash of lemon to your salad. You know, it gives it that perkiness that might otherwise be missing. And I think it's doing the same thing here. Yeah, absolutely. The acid does a really nice job of balancing everything out in this glass. So speaking of salad, a classic January food, <laughs> what would you what would you serve with this wine? So actually, um, last night I made homemade pizza. Mm. And I think that this would be great. You know, uh, a Grenache like this, it can stand up to food really well. Um, it's going to be a crowd pleaser because even though, you know, it is a higher ABV red in terms of the 14%, it's got that brightness with the acid. It's fruit forward. So it's going to be a crowd pleaser um, and it's going to be mendable to a lot of different palates. I also think that with pizza, if you have like all these different toppings. So last night I made... Um, one pizza on an herb dough with just olive oil instead of sauce and the toppings included um, pancetta and braised cauliflower and broccoli in a basil sauce so it was delicious and then the other one um, <laughs> I had some leftover fried chicken so it was a fried chicken pizza <laughs> but it was delicious <laughs> With some little potato medallions and caramelized red onions, and it was fantastic. And this wine would go well with both of those. So I just think it's an easy sipper. Um, you don't have to make it too complicated. I also, because of the acid and the fruit um, in this wine, I would drink this with Chinese food. Oh, yeah. Right? It's like a big old bowl of chow mein. I can't get over your fried chicken pizza. I'm still stuck on that. It reminds me in college, <laughs> one of the bars that we would go to had a tater tot pizza, which oh, is yes. not what I would drink with this, what I would serve with this wine. But I think it's right up there with, uh, with fried chicken pizza. It was good. It was good. I'm not going to lie. I believe it. Well, similar to you, when I mean... I did not make pizza yesterday, unfortunately for me. But when I tasted this wine, the first thing I thought of was focaccia with, um, you know, a, a generous helping of rosemary and some really good sea salt. Like, I don't think it needs to be super complicated. So basically, I'm just describing pizza dough as opposed to a full-on pizza. pizza. Um, yeah, but I think a focaccia would go really nicely with this. Um, and then I would pair that, I think, and maybe it's just because it's cold here in New York, but I would pair that with a rich, creamy soup, like a cream of mushroom or a white bean soup. Um, I think that that would be a really delightful, really cozy 
meal here for our late winter days. Okay, so uh, what situation are you enjoying this wine in? Are you going to be reading Russian literature as you drink it? Well, so funnily, the the thing that kind of came to mind was a book club. I think this is a wine that would spark as much conversation um, as a book. I think it's super interesting. It's got those spicy notes. I, I yeah, I could I could imagine having a bunch of friends over in the days when we finally can have friends over again, talking about talking about Russian literature and uh and drinking this wine. And talking about wine. I like it. I like this for you. I will join if you start a Russian literature book club. I may just be going for the wine, but I'll still be there. <laughs> you know, you've already read Master and Margarita. You're that's on your true. way. That's that's probably the only one, though. I did try to get through Dr. Zhivago, and I just, I could not. I just couldn't do it. So what's your situation? Uh, I mean, I have a lot of situations these days, but what is my situation with this wine? Um, so I, okay, I was actually in Joshua Tree for my husband's birthday um, in December, and this is a bottle I wish I had taken out there. Mm. It's, you know, it's got, like, some nice... It's got the same vibe as Joshua Tree. Like, you just want to sort of, like, hang out outside and enjoy some, like, oddly beautiful scenery. This is not... Don't drink in the National Park. That's not That's not what I'm advocating for here. But, you know, get yourself a nice little Airbnb outside where there's, like, a Joshua Tree planted in your front yard or whatever. The place that we stayed had a record player, like, throw a record on, chill out. This is a very good, like, chill-out wine. In other words, like, this is a wine where where it is impressive, but you are not trying hard at all. Like, it's just easy, but it's still super interesting and delicate and vibrant in so many ways. And so, all like, every pairing I'm thinking about is something, like, getting Chinese takeout is easy, right? Sort of just chilling around, listening to records in Joshua Tree. Easy. I feel like those are the types of vibes that are are matching this wine. Um, and I I know you're reading Russian literature, so I'm I'm afraid to ask what you're reading to accompany this bottle. I don't know that I. So what actually came to mind for me was poetry. I really like to always get the best American poetry collection of each year. Um, And I think that that would be something that, you know, I could enjoy. I could enjoy a poem with each glass and really savor the words and the wine at the same time. I think sometimes Russian literature is a little on the long side, though I do really think that Gogol's um, novel Dead Souls is also at different points entertaining enough to to stand up for this wine what about you what are you going to drink this wine with or read with this wine i just finished reading a book that i think would be delightful with this wine and um as many of you know i like reading retellings of fairy tales um i just think they're really fun and so i recently read uh malice by Heather Walter, and it just came out last spring, 
and it is a retelling of the Sleeping Beauty story. And it is fantastic. It was so good. It's like if Disney's Sleeping Beauty and Gregory Maguire's Wicked had a weird, twisted baby, and there was also a lesbian love affair, that would be this book. It was so good. And again, it was easy. It was fun. It was surprising in the, all the right ways. Uh, just like this, this bottle of wine. So yeah, that's what I would read with this. Nice. And if I didn't have that, I would read one of my favorite Twisted Tales from Disney Publishing. And I have no shame about this. <laughs> Nor should you. We left I our don't. shame behind in 2021. All right, what are you listening to? Um, so now I'm going to go it with, with the Russians. I am oh, definitely God. listening to some Russian music with this. Um, my favorite Russian composer is Rimsky-Korsakov. I love his Russian Easter overture. Um, so that's what I'm putting on here. I never knew you were so into the Russians. This is fascinating for me. What about you? What are you listening to? Oh, I'm listening to some, like, indie cover Spotify playlist. Again, easy. Keeping it chill. Keeping the vibes loose. And uh, who, are you, who are you drinking this with? Oh, man. I feel like I'm running out of celebrities that I actually don't find obnoxious. Who am I drinking this with? Do you have one yet? Do you know who you're drinking with this? If you say a Russian, I swear to God. So I was really tempted to say <laughs> that I was going to drink this with the ghost of Rasputin. And then oh I was like, I wouldn't God. actually want to drink this with Rasputin. So he's off my list. Um, but but seriously, we lost a couple of greats um, at the end of 2021. And I think that I would want to um, split a glass with them in the afterlife. So I think I would drink this with uh, Bell Hooks and Joan Didion would be high on my list of uh, people to drink this with. Again, with keeping thing, keeping, keeping, with keeping the it vibes. dark. Yeah, yeah, geez, this is everyone. This glass is fun. Don't listen to her. <laughs> uh, keeping with the vibes. I'm drinking this with Keith Richards. A very different choice. Yeah, I feel like... Grenache, but he is alive, so you have a chance of doing it. I feel like Grenache is a classic. It's, it's, a, it's a classic grape. I like it a lot. Um, but this, this wine continues to stay fun and continues to surprise me and continues to be unexpected. And um, I love Keith Richards. I think he's rad. I think he's all about the vibes. Uh, and if you have not read his autobiography, do it. It's great. It's one of the best autobiographies I've ever read. So if someone wanted to enjoy this fun and unexpected bottle, where could they get it? You can purchase this direct from Sanlige at sanlige.com, S-A-N-S-L-I-E-G-E.com. And you know what? Put Paso on your 2022 wine travel list. You will not be disappointed. There is literally something there for everyone. Um, if you want recommendations, hit me up in our DMs. So you can find us on Instagram 
at Two Girls and a Great Pod. That's T W O Girls and a Great Pod. Or shoot us an email um, at Two Girls and a Great Pod at gmail.com. And we've got all sorts of fun stuff planned for 2022. Um, I have new. Like crazy weird varietals I want to try. Um, more guests and more interviews. I've been busily hustling up and down wine country um, and gaining a lot of contacts. Uh, more general ridiculousness. I have a dream that we're going to have merch one day. So yeah, uh, all the good stuff is coming at you this year. If there is something that you would like us to drink, send us your recs. Give us a follow. Give us a shout out. Let us know what you're drinking and what we should be drinking. Um, so until next time, hope you enjoy whatever you're drinking and salute. Salute.